0: Our guest today is Rabbi Yehuda Uh He is many things: um, a shochet, uh, a moil, a chazin, or a ritual, a ritual slaughterer, a circumciser, and a cantor. Uh, a first response medic, a um, an amateur pilot, a wedding singer, and I've just learned a smoker of meat. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. When you were a kid, did you already have it in your mind, I want to do everything in the world? No. So it was sort of one by
1: one? Um, Well, growing up, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, But as I got older, I decided not to say no to opportunities that came along. So literally everything that happened along the way just put my hand up um, when, when somebody asked me if I can do a certain thing or whatever I just said yeah why not let's try it um, and that's the way things happened wow it just became the perennial so, volunteer just yeah whatever was, it, that was that wasn't your attitude when you were younger it wasn't my attitude when I was younger when I was younger I was very shy and when did so, that shift um, I think after I got married
0: really yeah interesting so. you got married quite young I got
1: married quite young yeah
0: fair um, I, I, I have a friend of mine who's what is it now he's um he just, just hit 40, 41, and he, um, he's had, like, a really prolific 30s. Like, he's written two novels, and he's, like, put out an album, and he's just a lot of, like, he's bought some land, he's built things, and um, and he says that, like, his 20s were just a, like, just a wash. It's just, Once he got married, had a kid, then it was like, oh, time is extremely valuable, and that's, right.
1: that's it. That's right. Did you find a similar experience? Yeah, pretty much. I just, I, I realized that, hey, if you don't do it yourself, nobody does it for you, so... So if you want something to happen, you've got to put yourself in there. And uh, Baruch Hashem, as opportunities came along, um, I just grabbed them and ran with them. So my life has taken me in directions I never th- dreamt I would be in. Yeah. Um, thank God, really, you've truly been blessed with all that. Um, and uh, Baruch Hashem. Okay. I see a good success. And I, I suppose it's all all the Rebbe Shlichis that uh, when he sent me here, so... You know? The Rebbe sent you here? The Rebbe sent me here. Really? Mm-hmm. What? what, what what's, tell me about this, I didn't know this. Sure, so um, I, came, I came out here initially as a group, as part of a group of 18 Bachrim mm-hmm. in 1993. So 18 Rabbinical students. We came from a later yeshiva in Kranites. I was a class of 67 boys, I remember. Uh, and eighteen of us were sent to Sydney, as I said, and it was a one-year stint. As soon as I landed uh, in Sydney, um, Chabad Double Bay was just starting, mm-hmm. and they they said, "Ah, oh, Yehazov, you have a good voice, right?" Because my brother Yeshua was here already. He came mm-hmm. in the first group of rabbinical students in nineteen eighty-six. How many years ahead of eighty-six? He came. I came in ninety-three. Okay. Um, so they said, oh, you must have a good voice, you're going to be our chazen. So that was it, and that's where it sort of started from there. But uh, talking about the schliches here in Sydney, I only found this out uh, many years later in, I can't remember the year, but just before I started, about 2002, 2003, mm-hmm. uh, I found this story out. So I'm here for 10 years already, if so. Um, I was in New York for my sister's wedding and I hear my father telling my sister's father-in-law. Yeah. Um, the husband's this story, dad. the Hassan's dad, yeah. Right. Telling, telling him this story, um, which I never heard before. So I was like, whoa, 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 stop. Start again from the beginning. I never heard the story. Story goes like this. So I became a shliach in 1993, as I said. The rebbe had already had a stroke mm-hmm. in 92. Right, and he was unwell. Um, so from what I understand they, they went with a piece of paper, a list of all the boys in the class um, and they were basically reciting the names of the boys to the Rebbe, who's going to go to where. And Rabbi um, Gosh, <laughs> I'm just having a blank. Rabbi Galitsky from Alitaira called up my parents yeah. afterwards and um, told them that this is what happened. But when it came to your son's name, the Rabbi pointed to me and said, Sydney.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah. So uh, that was, I don't know where they were planning to send me, but um, there was a particular point to to send me to Sydney. Um, they told my parents not to tell me about it um, because um, they didn't want a, me to feel any different to anybody else or anybody else in the class to feel somewhat different. So they were right. told not to say anything. To reveal the me act, yeah. Um, but that was that. So it became Sydney, and um, I suppose Sydney became a life mission, not just a not just a one-year stint. <laughs> Clearly. So, um, you know, so I had started at Central Synagogue, being the Chaz and the Sheini, then mm-hmm. um, around then, 2002, I got the job to start at the end of 2003. I had a daughter born... Um, Sorry,
0: 2002?
1: I got the job in 2002 to start at the end of 2003. I started in 2003. <laughs> but hang on a second, there's 10 missing years here. 2002 to 2003, a year beforehand. Didn't, you came over here in '93, Correct. right? Correct. So okay. I was a schreifet here. All right, fine. Okay? So I'm missing eight years. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm, tell- I'm telling you a different story now. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so what I, so um, I had a daughter a few weeks before I started my job at Central Synagogue. It's okay. still part of the original story. Um, and um, so I made a kiddish in shul. First couple of weeks that I was in shul, I made a kiddish for, okay. for my daughter. And um, Rabbi Leshes was there, mm-hmm. so after the whole, after the whole, you know, c- community sort of left, uh, the chassidim hang- hung that I invited, you know, from the yeshiva came, and hung around, and um, we were having a little fabring and a little get together of, of, you know, meeting of mind and heart, and um, so I shared a story. I said, oh, "Look, I was just in New York a few months ago for my sister's wedding, and." This is what I just found out, that the rabbi pointed to me and sent me to Sidney, and here I am. And I literally, literally, my life has taken me in a direction that I would have never thought um, that I would have done, that I would have achieved, and, you know, the Baruch Hashem's success. And um, so Rabbi Elesheh started smiling and he goes, yeah, we knew, we knew. What do you mean we knew? He knew the story. Wow! That the rabbi pointed to my name. Okay. Last one. To so know. that's so that's the story of the shlichus. You asked me the story of the That's the story of the You were sent here. Uh, so i sent
0: here. I was specifically sent here if you didn't know. I was sent here in
1: '93 for one year. No, and then things happened along the year. So during the year, I learned Shkita, You know, I already had a discussion with my father Olbaschon um, that I'm coming to Sydney for a year. I was, you know, going to be 21 years old. A couple of weeks after I arrived to Sydney and time to start thinking about life and you know for a boy that if i can say barely graduated elementary school on a secular level Mm -hmm. right um you know i was thinking like what am i gonna do for for a living Mm -hmm. um so i had this discussion with my dad that my brother was here and he was a so i might as well learn and you know if i need it i have the skill that i can i can fall back on when i get back to new york so during that year when i was in schlichus uh, I had permission from the yeshiva to uh, go out to the abattoirs on Fridays, and then throughout the year, they would let me go throughout, you know, during different times of the week if there was something interesting happening or whatever like that. So um, that's how that sort of the Shkita the sign developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I then requested to stay an extra half year after the whole group went back. We finished with, so our year here was from basically after Sukkis. Yeah, I feel like it was like from September to September, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to translate what I'm saying because I don't know who your audience is. So sure. I don't know if I'm dealing with a Torah yeshiva audience or a secular audience. If I say something that doesn't um, make sense, you'll, you'll tell me to translate it or we'll work it out. Sure. But I'm thinking along those lines, okay? So I'm not speaking the way I would normally speak. I'm going to have to... All right. yeah. um, anyway so say September to September we were that was the year so I requested to stay till the following Pesach Passover which would be in about April or so uh, which I got permission to do um, in the and same, program? In the same no so I uh, to earn my keep I taught in the boys high school okay. and whatever so there were different things that I had to you know earn my my room in the dormitory alright um, and um so for that half year, I was focused on shefting. So if I wasn't shefting, I was teaching. But otherwise, I was pretty much going out every day and, and focusing Getting, on Figuring that. out how Getting, to slaughter animals properly. Do it to, yeah, to master it. Okay. Because one thing, learning it. There's another thing, mastering it to a commercial level. What does mastering at a commercial level mean to you? Efficiency. Being comfortable in any setting. Knowing to deal with any problem. Knowing how to work around issues. Um, you know in a quick efficient way so if you can walk into an abattoir that's a, a big scary messy you know like sort of happening place it's a very and intense place it's a very very intense place and extremely overwhelming if you're if you're not comfortable in that zone but to and then you have Shilas I mean you you know what uh, you have you know what we normally study in, in you know in Halacha and Jewish law things like that which for many people are theoretical it becomes a very practical right. thing you know, when you're dealing with with what is kosher and what isn't kosher, and what diseases and at what point, and nothing is really textbook. I mean, the textbook is going to tell you what the rulings are, but then you have to work out one second: what degree does it stay in this yeah. category A, and at what degree does it change to category B, where you know, kosher or non-kosher, or whatever. right So, so like, there's a lot of underwriting on it. So there's a lot of, so it, so a lot like of gray uh, areas, and you got to know which, yeah. you know. And then there can be lots of opinions, and then it can be. Out on the floor, it's very messy. It, and, and it can you, so you got to know what you're doing, and right, you got to yeah. be quick and efficient. And you have to, you know, you can't just fly by the wire. You have to. And I would say that that takes quite a few years to master. If you asked me, I would say five to ten years really? to be a, to consider yourself a good shaykh. I would say five to ten years, um, easily, easily until you would go that you're, you know, all right, you're, you're good to go anywhere. Wow, That's,
0: is that is that um, something you'd say about about um, about other skills that you have developed, like is it is five to ten years I would, years say, so. Standard?
1: I would yeah? say so. Yeah, I think to own it. Look, it's it's very easy, as they say. You know, you don't become a sailor sailing on calm waters, right? Mm. You, you have to you have to go out in the storm and and understand how the boat handles, right? Right. So it's the same thing. You, until you're going to see different scenarios and be in different situations and know how to maneuver yourself around those difficult situations, um, then you're not a master of that trade yet, (laughs) right? So maybe you can do it, you can get away with it sometimes, but you're not going to be a master knowing how to manipulate or how to work around different difficult situations.
0: Right. But you figured at the end of this year you're like, half a year more and I'll, I'll be at least good no, to start I'll, in New York. At
1: least I'll be... No. I was just like, okay, I, I'll, it'll be a bit more intense than rather than going out once a week or whatever. Ah, you know? because just so a bit for, more intense. For the year you are oh, yeah. just doing whenever doing, you could yeah. figure around your studies. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this was just a bit more, you know, getting a bit more a practice. A bit more full-time practice. Yeah. It certainly took, you know, longer than that to get proficient with it. Anyway, so a few months into that stint... Um, a Shidduch came up, a marriage proposal, like a marriage idea, proposal, a I idea. Say, yeah. Um, how would you said. A marriage proposal is a whole different no, meaning. correct, correct, not a proposal, but it was a... Suggestion? A suggestion if I wanted to meet a girl okay, who was coming from Melbourne to Sydney for her cousin's bar mitzvah. Um, so my brother looked into... Her and the family first uh, before approaching me and asking me if I, you know, was interested in it. I had a conversation with my parents, who weren't very eager in me staying in Australia. Right, they already, you know, one brother stayed here. How, how many be, siblings are you all together? we were eleven, all of us. Okay, so her. they had they had yeah, w- no, f- doesn't f- work th- that right. way. Everyone, maybe yes, correct, right. And I was, um, I was the. You know, the truth of the matter is that I was the only one of my siblings that didn't leave home until I was 21 years old. Um, Everybody else went to yeshivas overseas to study. Um, I was really the one that was going to be, yeah, you're going to live right next to your parents, because I I really didn't enjoy leaving home. Mm -hmm. Um, But there you go. I left once and I didn't go back. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so... That's what happened. So the so she came from Melbourne for the so we went out um, for ten days. Wow! And got engaged. Wait, do you mean ten dates or like 10, a ten day period? 10, oh. Over a ten day period. Wow! Over a ten day period. Quick one.
0: Not the not the fastest the I've ever heard of, but but on, but on the that side,
1: yeah. Look, when you're on a good thing, yeah, you can see it. So.
0: And that was the, that was the first shirikhi yeah. I you met? That was the first that I ever met, yeah. Incredible, yeah. incredible. Good vetting process, I guess. It was. And so that, you're still very young then, you were like 22? I was
1: 22. Yeah. Right. And then wedding a few months later? So wedding was a half year later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got engaged, actually, huge Shvat. We went out, the first date was actually January 1st. Oh, wow. 95. Uh, we got engaged January 10th. And um, our wedding wasn't until June. Um, and that had to do with Pesach and Sphira. So there's a couple of months there that we don't do weddings. Mm. Um, and leading up to Pesach would have been tricky for my parents to come with the family. Right. And they felt that it was going to be a bit of a, a rush and they wouldn't be able to bring everybody on such short notice um, for such a short time and then go home to make Pesach. Yeah. So really a few months um, so we ended up having a five and a half month engagement which is very long which is very long in our circles yeah yeah terrible it felt, it felt like an eternity but then after so, you got
0: married like you, that it changed something in your in your, in your mind you were like started putting your hand up more for things
1: so no so we ended up we lived in Melbourne for for uh, about nine months after we got married mm-hmm. my wife was doing university there she was studying speech therapy and, um, so I was working there for a bit, um, didn't work out and, um, came back to Sydney. I was, I was offered the truth is that as soon as I, I got engaged, um, Rabbi Gutnick called me up and offered me a job here, here if I wanted to work here for them. So, but we went to Melbourne for a bit and in, then in, we came in, back here. In his capacity as, like as, a, as a, as, yeah, within, and, you know, sort of part time. They would find something we, okay. we do, but they wanted to keep me
0: here. So they wanted, right. So they wanted you like slaughtering animals, but also just like, they'd find other stuff just to keep you on the payroll. Because correct.
1: Because they didn't need me really full time at that stage. They right. We want people to go on vacation or before Yumtiv or things like that. So. Yeah. So, and and so he offered the seasons. He, he heard about the engagement. He thought there's so someone correct. we could keep around. He called me up to wish me you know, Mazel Tov, congratulations on the engagement. If you want a job, there's a job here available for you. Okay. Work at that. Fair. Um, but so I said, but we went to Melbourne first for, uh, for uh, half a half year to nine months and then we, we came back to Sydney we were, where I took up. Fair. And, uh, and your wife so. had finished studies at that point or she moved no, here? No, so she it? came here. She was able to move some of her uh, things that she had to do to... Placements over here, and then there was actually a time when she had to go to Melbourne for a few months. Uh, I stayed here. She went to Melbourne, and I would go visit her every couple of weeks for shams. Fair. What, what was that like, by the way? Hard for a newly married couple to to be away. How how, how far into
0: your into your wedding was into your marriage? Is it? it
1: was uh, under a year. Ah, okay, that's too soon. Under a year. Fair. I, um, coming coming up to the year, I think it was like uh, 10 months now, 10 months. No okay, like fair.
0: No, like that, cause that's a bit too soon. Because I, I, I remember reading something that really stuck with me from um, uh, Robert Cialdini. He's a, like a social psychologist. He wrote like a book in the 90s called Influence that was like the big defining book in social psych at the time. Um, and he wrote in there that um, he had a couple of students that had to, because of their university stuff, they had to be in separate cities for, I think, a full year and they'd, they'd, you know, take the train to each other's cities, like, on alternating weekends. And they said it was the best year of their marriage. Because it was, like, the, like, they, it was scarce. They had to, and when they spent time together, they really spent time together. But I think that was probably a few years in already. Like, for a newlywed, like, you want to spend all your time together, and it's
1: great anyway. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy. It was, look, uh, you, you did what you had to do. We didn't really think about it. Right. You know? it just had to be done. And you, we counted down the weeks. We knew that you had to do a couple of months. Over there, that was it. Just had to be done. So either I flew or I drove, and you know, between made it happen. Every second shamus. is yeah.
0: amazing. And then, and then after that, like you came here and you stayed here.
1: Um, and then we stayed, yeah. But we were here already by then. So that's when I was uh, I was shifting then doing the kosher slaughtering, um, and things sort of developed from there um, over time. The the mile. Thing came up some years later. Um,
0: How'd that come up? Someone just asked, Would you like
1: to circumcise babies? You're good with a knife no. already. Okay, so actually, when I was living in Melbourne, uh, there was a Sheikh that worked for Adas, um, the Hungarian Shkita there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Sheikh Advice. Ah, the great Sheikh Advice. A mythic figure. Uh, he's he actually a legend, yeah, yeah. a legend in Adas. And, and um, he, he. so we used to like sort of bump into each other, because we would be working in the same places, although I was shifting for a different company. Mm-hmm. But we would, you know, as we were going, they were coming or vice versa. So we used to chat a lot. He was a very warm, really fatherly sort of character. Right. Really, very, this, this was in, in Sydney or this Melbourne? This was in Melbourne. In Melbourne. A very, very warm character. Yeah. Um, and we would, we would chat. So we would, he, was, he was really nice, really, really sweet man. So he came up to me one day and he said, oh, by the way, if you want to learn Mila, I'll teach you to be a mile. And I was like, again, as I said, it takes time to, you know, to become a scheisse to feel proficient at it, right? And I was like, absolutely not. Mila is not for me. There's no way I'd be a mile. Um, I said, there's one thing, a chicken, you, you stuff it up, you throw it, you know, you put it yeah. in the reject bin and, <laughs> and it goes off to the regular market. I said, you can't exactly do that with a baby. No. So, you know, I, I, to have that sort of accuracy 100% of the time, yeah. I said, it's, that's a very daunting responsibility. I mm-hmm. um, said, so there wasn't, there was no way I was going to, at that point, I said, even, you know, animals was, was sort of, you know, a big experience to mm-hmm. know, make sure that you're working well. Um, so I said, no, I said, but thank you. Thank you. And it's very nice of you to offer me that, but no, but I suppose he planted a, a germ in my brain, mm-hmm. you know, the idea was planted. Um, and some years later, so we came back to Sydney and I was a, a patient of Dr. Blumalavashalam and we oh. were on very friendly terms. We were really, really, I mean, he was incredible, yeah. incredible man, incredible doctor. And, um, We would sit and talk. I mean, I had had very good access with him. And it was hard to get through to him. But we would would sit and chat and talk. And as the way went with him, you used to have to block off your whole day. If you wanted to see him for for something, you would literally have to block off your day because you sat in his waiting room for hours and hours. Um, I was lucky he would come to my house occasionally. I was really lucky with that. But anyway, um, at one time I was sitting and we would, when you're... When we were inside, by him, in his in his office, um, we were chatting, and he was telling me about his day. <laughs> so you know, um, he was very interesting like that. Anyway, that that he would he would have a conversation with you, but you thought that he was just having a conversation. In the meantime, he was he was picking your brain. He was five steps ahead of you, and he was trying to understand. So, there were a lot of things that he was diagnosing while he was. Seemingly, just having a conversation with you, really, and he would come up with out of the box, uh, you know, things that were, you know, could have been wrong or whatever, which was unbelievable to watch him at work. Do you have an example of this? I'm
0: fascinated. Um, a by few, it.
1: a few things. which he, she? You know, very rare sort of things. So there was a virus that I had at one point, um, which I wouldn't have thought that I had it. Um, but we were just sitting and talking, and you know he was asking me about my day and how hard it's or whatever and what I do at Schechtingen. And somehow I blurted out that I was tired. And Devaro was there, and she said, uh, "Yeah, look, he falls asleep on the floor during dinner. He's uh, he's exhausted." And he just went like, "Hmm, really? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a blood test." I ended up having CMV. Whoa! Um, but you know, like. But, you know, you wouldn't think, I was newlywed and I was, you know, working hard. You wouldn't have just, you know, okay, he's exhausted. You're waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Of course, you're going to be tired, right? right. But, but, just, but it was just the fact that I didn't come to him for that, whatever. I do not even know what I was there for. I came to him for something else. But it was just the fact that you were able to sit there and schmooze with the guy. Right. That you would just, you, you didn't feel rushed to go, okay, I'm here for this. I'm in and I'm out. But you were able to just sort of let let the conversation roll and go and in the meantime he was you know digging around to see what was going on you know working his magic he was uh, unbelievable in, in diagnosing like that there was a, something else with my wife as well that that he picked which was like extremely rare um, and he goes oh don't worry about it. you'll get this once you're never gonna have it again or whatever and it's fine you know that was it Don't worry. but yeah but but he was able to pull out a big fat book and go this is what you have wow show her a picture and go. this is what it is don't worry about it uh, you know Amazing. So, 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 this is, so then you've,
0: you've had the seed planted by Sheikh
1: Weiss. And so so, you're so here, here I am I was choosing with Dr. Bloom and he was telling me about his day. <laughs> um you know and how he had started six o'clock in the morning and he was actually the the Medicare was after him they couldn't believe that one person was doing that many circumcisions and uh, to have his billings and whatever so he would, he was under investigation oh, that's so funny because they, they couldn't believe that one person was doing that much <laughs> um, but he was telling me his day and he goes, I mean because I started at six o'clock in the morning and I had my brisses until here and then at 11 o'clock I start the surgery and then I do the surgery till eight o'clock at night at eight o'clock at night I I do home visits until 11 at 11 o'clock I do my paperwork until two o'clock in the morning you know that was it was something along those lines yeah and and i was like really you know that's crazy so i just said dr bloom by the way if you want somebody to help you out i'm willing to put my hand up as you know as your assistant i'm not i'm not going to take any business away from you i'm not here to become a male i don't want to do that but if you want me you know just to help to look uh, bandages or whatever or something if you know something you can't Mm -hmm. do um, you know i'll put my hand up and he just went, wow, thank you so much. I was looking for somebody I didn't know who to ask. Mm. So he was looking at another doctor. He didn't think to ask, you know, you know a rabbi. Yeah. Um, so that was that. So I ended up studying under him for two and a half years until he let me touch my first baby um, that, I did a ba- that I did a circumcision for. Um, that's another interesting story <laughs> <laughs>
0: that one I want to hear that <laughs> one
1: <laughs> so um and said I was following him around then he sort of made he made me sort of follow him like you know, he wouldn't call me for a while and I had to call him up and say like oh, a Bloom, what happened? I haven't heard you know if you don't have any was going on? Oh, oh, yeah sure you know hey I have one tomorrow, come meet me whatever do, do so that, he, made me, he wanted to make sure that I right. was interested still right. that. he so he he sort of had this uh, Push yin and yang in. sort of yeah. thing <laughs> happening right. <laughs> Um, So, what happened this one time, there was a a non-Jewish kid in Bellevue Hill, and um, they asked him to do it. He did many non-Jewish circumcisions Mm -hmm. a week. And uh, they said, look, they didn't want to be in the house. They didn't want to hear the baby crying. um, So they're going to go for a walk. They asked how much time do you need for a circumcision? And they said, okay, we're going for a walk for 15 minutes. You got the baby uh, that was, you know, you got you and your assistant calling, calling me the assistant, right? Um, you guys do it. We'll be back in 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Oh, my God. Okay. So, well, it takes it takes a couple of minutes to do a circumcision, right? So,
0: yeah, but, but, but I feel like being again, on the clock like that, like, come on. No, 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 it's, it's a good process. Of of time. But yeah.
1: it, takes, it takes a minute or two, right? Yeah. So... But they said, okay, we're going for a walk for 15 minutes. babies, you know, just, we, don't want, we don't want to hear crying. So um, they leave the house and he goes, Yehuda, here's your chance. You're doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we had all the time, I look at, at a bris, you know, firstly, if you're doing an normal bris, everybody's hiring a specific mile. Nobody wants the student. Everybody wants the mile, right? Yeah. Um, and you're doing it in front of an audience. And there's a pressure of time and all that it goes... There's nobody here. Take your time. We're going to go through every step. You'll practice it. We'll do it again and again until we get to the cut. You know, we'll just work. We'll work our way through the process um, until until we get it right. You know, like and not until we get it right. But you understand? Know we can only you yeah, can only yeah. cut You're, once, right? But you, but, you can but, measure can, five we can, times. we can, we can right. look and we can hold and we yeah. can check and we can you know you can you can take your time on it. you you got to make sure that I'm saying it correctly. So. Mm. Um, that was it. So we ended up doing that circumcision. Wow, great season at the moment there. And that really was an really like threw me into it, really just yeah. threw me into it. Um, but I said that was after two and a half years of observation and talking and learning and understanding. So there was, it was—it wasn't just like okay, here you go, do it. But it was. So was you all... knew the whole
0: like for, or you, at least you suspected that like, you were being trained as a during that two and a half. Um, years? of course. Yeah, okay. of course.
1: But traditionally, a male doesn't become a male until you circumcise your own son. Whoa. Right. I didn't it know that. It, it does happen otherwise, but again, who's going to trust you? Right? Who's going to give you the first baby? The, yeah. Right? So nobody's going to wow. give you the first baby. Right? So you do your own kid. People see you. Oh, he's a male. All right. They come How else are you going to get a name? Right? So that's 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 remarkable. And then, interestingly enough, you know, we are different to the <sighs> medical world, where the medical world doesn't want specifically no family. No family, because yeah. you're going to you you you're emotionally attached to the case, right? We want to see how you handle the pressure right. of it being your own son. Yeah, you can't do that, other, right? Yeah. So, so we're sort of ending with, it's, it's We're throwing you into the fire, right? We yeah. go here, you go. It's your own kid. You're gonna feel this one. Let's see how you handle it, right? It's, it sounds like a, like a military training,
0: like when they put you through hell week. You know, let's see if you can not sleep for a week. Then if you're on mission three days, no worry. Well, they do. The yeah. truth
1: is, and they do that with medical students as well. Does it? Go work for three days straight, right? Without yeah. sleeping, you're on call this weekend. Yeah. You know? And if you can handle that, you can handle anything else. So that's sort of the mentality that we have mm-hmm. with with Brisses. Um So, I, you know, until I was a young married guy at the time. I did have a couple of kids, but two girls, but I didn't have any boys at that stage. Um, so, I mean, he wasn't going to give me any of his... Brisses to do. Yeah. So I was just hanging around. I mean for summer uh, and that's why it took two and a half years I mean if you want to become a moil, you can go to Israel and become a moil in, in a month What? Yeah 10,000 bucks in one month somebody's gonna teach you because so you they do seven eight ten a day and you go from one to the next and the Next and the next and and uh, within a month you have your experience Wow, how good you are after a month? I don't know again. I don't right. think you become proficient in that time but in theory you can get you can do it fairly fast if you have the volume that you that you're doing in a small place like Sydney we don't have that sort of problem. right so it's more stretched out so it's a very slow process
0: I I wanted to ask so. you about that real quick because I, I want to get back to this story but but just that um, the slow process thing do you feel that, that it was a benefit for you to drag it out over two and a half years rather than cram it into a month
1: no I don't think that's a benefit I think that uh, that um, with the muscle memory and the and the um, the amount of time that you know the the faster sort of quicker intervals mm-hmm. the shorter intervals keeps things fresh keeps things going mm-hmm. you know some certain advantage mentioned that so as well certainly, certainly to i uh, this i suppose is a happy medium where you let information
0: percolate a little percolate, bit yeah and mellow yeah. and sort
1: of settled inside yeah so a yeah. certain amount of you know settling that happens and then there's the amount that actually you you're progressing so there's some sort of healthy balance there I'm sure
0: oh it's it's funny because I was reading in the in the Gemara recently like someone um uh I was reading that um someone said that like the 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 way that you you ha- if you try and, like, learn, learn to all, like, just cram it in, it doesn't work. You have to learn a little bit at a time and yeah. you know, hold it a little bit at a time. And I felt kind of guilty because I read this, like, while, like, rushing back well, up to the Duffy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So. Anyway, but, but, your, but you had two and a half years line up. And then you had your first, this first Navy. So, and that so went and well? The, the first one went yeah, well? Yeah, 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 it was fine. Everything was a, so We had
1: our time to be able to work on it, right? Did you feel so. like you elated afterwards? Was it, what was the it experience It was a very like? interesting experience. Look, it was, um... To be honest with you, it's a, a, a bris is a fairly simple procedure. Yeah? I mean, you got to think that we've been doing this for four thousand years, right? As a people, so I mean, th- the first the, one in the Torah is like yeah. a sharp stone. So you grab the, the kid. Defeat, it's if it. you did it four thousand years ago, yeah. I mean, we're here to tell the tale. It can't be that complicated, right? Right. Um, but there are certain steps, and there are halachas, and there's a lot to learn. It's not. It's not that it's there's you know there's what to do, but it's a fairly simple procedure. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you want to make sure that you do it right. Yeah. <laughs> Simple procedure with zero margin of error. Zero margin of error, correct. Yeah. Um, so that was it. And then my son was born about a half year later. Ah, here's your moment. Okay, so that was my, yeah, correct. So that was my first public moment, right? And my first bris. Well, when, when the, like, did you know the, the, the gender of the baby before he was born? Do we need to discuss that? No, no
0: I don't yeah, know. The reason yeah. I'm asking is because like... When some people born, do, some
1: people don't. <laughs> sure,
0: that's fair enough. No, but I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes here. Like it's three years training. And the moment like know, he's born, the doctor says, it's a boy. You're like, yeah. well, I got a busy weekend right, coming yeah. up.
1: So no, it's, you're always... It's certainly in the back of the mind. If right. it's going to be a boy, you know, we don't... We don't uh, yeah, then it's going to be on but, you. But it's going to be correct. So right. that's the, the whole pregnancy. It's playing on your mind. What if it's a boy? Yeah. Um... But you said you're gearing up for this, you're, you're preparing yeah. for this day. And that's with every kid, you don't you don't know, you know, for nine months you said, you don't know, is it a boy or is it a girl which which what name is it gonna be? And if it's a boy and if it's a girl so Yeah, but for, so for most people you. that so, they're gearing up and maybe they have yeah, to throw a shot
0: no, But
1: if it would have been a boy and it's a brisa, so again you've been learning something for two and a half years. You're you're, you're <laughs> yeah. waiting for it to, to actually be able to do it. So there's a certain element of of um, You know okay finally it's happening Mm -hmm. but certainly interpretation so i actually i remember like you know the day or two before the bris the night before the bris that i i played over what was going to happen at the bris in my head like a video okay you know uh, left hand is going to do this right hand is going to do this then my left hand is going to do this and my right hand is going to do this i'm going to grab this with my left i'm going to move this with my right i'm going to write right hand and i literally went through every motion Over and over and over, so that when the time comes, I'm not stumbling Mm -hmm. on anything. Right. So I created I created a muscle memory. I didn't have the muscle memory because I only did it once and a half year beforehand. Where I said as we did it, we didn't even do it in a fluid motion, but I literally created a muscle memory to know. Okay, your right hand is going to grab. Your left hand is going to. Your right hand grabbed the knife. You're like, this is gonna, this is gonna split. Uh, Yeah, and I went through and played it over and over and over again. Um, And then, then I went to the bris. So there was, there certainly, if you ask me, if how, what did I feel about it? Yes, certainly there was a um, a focus and an excitement that okay, this is this time is finally happening. I'm gonna do this. But I had to know that I was going to be prepared to do it and to do it. Well, it was my boy, right? Mm-hmm. But and, and and every truth is that every bris that you do, you think of it as, you know. It's a massive it's, thing. It's, my, right? it's, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And even till today, I'm doing it now for what, almost 20 years that I'm a male. Every bris, I still walk into with the same trepidation mm-hmm. that, you know, is it going to be? Because you never know what you're going to get. Every, yeah. Everyone is different. We all got different noses and we're all different down there. Yeah. So, um, and each one is different. Some are tighter, some are looser, some are longer, some are shorter, some are stubbier, some are shorter, skinny. They're all, they're everyone is different. And, and you, don't, you don't know if it's going to be a difficult bris, if it's going to be an easy bris, is it going to be textbook, is it going to be out of the box, yeah. you know? Um, and you, you don't know until the time. So you can sit there before and you go, okay, this looks like it's going to be like this. And then, you know, sometimes you get a surprise in either way. Sometimes it's easier than you thought. Sometimes it's more difficult than you thought it's going to be. Um, so I still walk over to every brist not knowing, okay, you know, how's it going to go? Um, but there's a certain confidence that you have, I suppose, again, after time that, okay, if this doesn't work, I have another trick up my sleeve. If that doesn't work, I can try that, you know. And, and I did have some difficult ones along the way when I was starting up, to, certainly that I had to stop the bris. I started a brist and go... Not for me. Not happening. Something is going wrong. I don't, I'm not happy with this. And I called in a, a friend to come in another mile to come in, and help me with it. Um, I had to do that probably twice in my early years.
0: And and both times um, it was fine in the end? Like it yeah, look, it, it has to come off one
1: way or another. So right. it's going to come off, right? But right. sometimes it's really stuck mm. or whatever, you know, and, and it's not it's not moving. Yeah. Um, so you, in other words, you can't separate the foreskin from the from yeah. the. Uh, glands. Um, so, you know, you can we can get um, more difficult situations. What you, can't be, difficult yeah, situations. you can get more difficult situations. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm interested but in this. learning kind of how to deal with them along the years. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really interested in this in this this thing you said that for the couple of days beforehand you were like playing it over as a video.
1: Did, did someone teach you to do that, or no. was it instinct? That was me trying to, you know. Get myself ready for that. And, and had yeah, you done just, that before? Yeah, that's my technique of doing things. And
0: it's your technique of doing things? Was that yeah. was that always? Or was that the time when it developed?
1: Like, the... mm, not pro- I think that's just the way I operate. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. The I, that's the way I do things. Yeah, that's. Uh, so if I'm thinking about it now, as you know, as a student pilot, with jumping ahead, but mm-hmm. that's the way I I learn things. I'm constantly playing over. Okay, I'm going to go in and this step, and then that step, then that step, and then I flick this, then I hit that switch, then I do that. And I just, you create a, a muscle memory or a visual memory of, of what's going to happen in what order. Yeah, well, I mean, so, in,
0: in, the, in the, I don't know, in the psychological literature and in like the, the, the world of professional sports, this is called visualization and it's huge. Like uh, the best coaches use it. I read this study in Aronson and Pratkanis mentioned it where um, they got, I think, college kids and they put them in two groups. And one group, they practiced shooting basketball hoops for half an hour, um, half an hour sessions. I think once a week, maybe once a day. And the other group, um, they spent half an hour visualizing shooting the perfect hoop. And they're just like, your your hand's doing this. What are you, like, you know, your your elbow's doing this. Uh, And they didn't actually touch a ball. But at the end of the the study time the the visualizers were actually shooting better than the ones who'd had real practice yeah so it's, it's amazing
1: so it it, it works i mean exactly. it, it works to me so yeah and that's the way uh, I tend to to memorize things and whatever it is that I'm doing you know, conducting or whatever I go through it and, you know as a choir master mm-hmm. I'll go through the pieces of music and work out my hand motions and what I'm signaling for what piece and for who and what so everything is. Every movement is is judged beforehand and carefully um, thought of before I start, you know, before yamtiv or before whatever before things. But I know what what it should look like, what it should feel like beforehand. Fair. Sure. So and I suppose I'm, I'm thinking about in all the dis- different disciplines that I do. That's that's just the way I do it. Well, you said I didn't t- read any books about it, but there you go. But it's, it so works. <laughs> yeah, well. You
0: know, like, I, I I came in. Um, we, we we talked a bit about about having this chat like before, and you said Do you want to send me some questions. They're like, no, that no, will be spontaneous, whatever. But then I couldn't help myself. I was like, I was thinking up some questions. Oh. Um And just one thing I, that really really struck me was like, um, you, you know, Tim Ferriss. No. Okay, so he's this guy. He's, he's oh, well, he's a he's a podcast, doesn't he? He does a podcast. Yeah, 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 he wrote yeah, yeah, Four yeah, Hour Body. Yeah, 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 and yeah Four yeah, Hour yeah. Work Week yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. So his his like his podcast, uh, maybe you're familiar with it. He's he he's, I've heard he a couple of them. Breaks down mm-hmm. excellence. He finds the people who are the best mm-hmm. in the field. He asks them questions. What do you do with this? How do you do this? How do you approach it? So I thought I got to do a bit of that. At least some. I got I got a Tim Ferriss conversation because people people are gonna want to know like how are you doing 15 different things well? Like there are a lot of people who can do like a 15 things poorly. That's not a that's not a problem. But I mean like. You know, you you said jumping ahead to the pilot. So, like, I mean, we can, we can leave aside the fact that you're learning how to fly a plane for a second. But even the stuff you're describing already, um, you came here, you were, you were a, you know, they said your brother has a good voice. So I'll we'll put you on, like, you're, a, you're a new cousin at a new place. Fine. So they'll take who they can get. But, I mean, today you're, you're, you cousin at Central. That's not a that's not a position. You know, they don't. They could find a different cousin if they wanted one, right? You're not there just as a charity case because you've been around a while. Clearly, you you could good at what you do, and the same with, with the shchita, and the same with you know everything I've seen you do, I've seen you do well. And so that's baruch like, Shem. yeah, baruch hashem. So like the visualization is clearly um, you know something that's
1: working for you. I think I personally I think it's the Rebbe's brachas if I can say it straight up. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just your average boy from Brooklyn um, and as I said, I haven't, I haven't uh, dreamed that, that I would achieve what I am achieving Baruch Hashem and I think that the Rebbe put me in a, in a position where I'm able to give to a community the amount that I'm doing mm-hmm. and the success is beyond anything that I've been able to imagine.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't
1: have seen this coming. No way.
0: I'm. I mean, and, and, and literally in
1: everything that I'm doing, if you would have asked me, you know, as a 20-year-old, would you be a shaykh? No. Would you be a male? Absolutely not. You have a mm-hmm. fly a plane? Look, I always loved flying planes, but I didn't think that would be something I'd be doing. Even the way it came around was, you know, was uh, another story for itself. But anyway, um, but whatever it is, you know, you know a chazan in, in, in one of the biggest shuls in the world Truly blessed and l- literally fell on my lap. Um, so, again, there's a story there too, but uh, you know, there's it, everything that I've done, the choir master, all that, it's all come about um, in ways that literally just, I wasn't, uh, if I can say it, it's not, there's no such thing. It's all Ashkacha Pratis and it's all part of the Shlichas and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's all literally just, there you go. Just, I happen to be at the right place at the right time, I suppose, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's you are saying that the, the Rebbe was, this, this list was put before the Rebbe originally, mm-hmm. with your name on it and a whole bunch of others, and that was in 93, after it had the stroke already. Mm-hmm.
1: This, So he wasn't really talking much. He wasn't really talking much, and that's the interesting thing. He was, look, I, I remember being in 770, uh, one particular night, uh, the Rebbe was on the balcony for, I think it was a couple of hours. And he seemed very frustrated about something. He wanted to get some sort of. He wanted something, and they couldn't work out what he wanted. Um, and those around him were throwing suggestions, and he kept shaking his head, no, no, no. And eventually, he started shouting, name, name, name. You know, and you heard him shout from across 770 that that's not what he wants. That, uh, to the point that they were asking people in the audience. What what they think the Rebbe wants? You know, if there was something in the community that was going on, or some politics, or whatever, I'm not sure. But people started writing the suggestions on pieces of paper and handing it up to the top of the balcony. Um, you know, just is maybe this is what the Rebbe's after is after? He wants something done. He wants that done. He wants that fixed, or whatever. You know, and he just kept shouting, "Name, name, name!" You know, that, that, that that's not what he wants. Um, so we certainly heard a you know a voice there. and He was talking. and He was saying something something. So the fact that he was able to say Sydney doesn't surprise me. That he, you know, although he wasn't talking but from the stroke he had, you know, he lost his ability to speak, but there was certainly an ability to, to speak if you wanted to speak. So right, and the word Sydney was sort of it's the something word that came through. That's that's what I've been told, and so I said I confirmed it with Rabbi Leshus, who said he knew the story. Right. Um, that,
0: that that's so telling to me. That broad grin when when you finished telling him the story. Yeah. That's... Um. And so the blessings keep keep coming. Thanks be to God. I'm I'm um I'm interested as well because like when you say like it's the Rebbe's blessings. When I was uh you mentioned earlier like how, you know needing to translate for different audiences. When I was thinking of like okay what am I gonna what am I gonna say at the top of the hour? What am I gonna how am I gonna intro you? And so I started going through things. Well, you know he's a chasen and he's a moil and, and he's a sheikhet. And then I realized like all the things I'm listing these are all like Hebrew words. Mm-hmm. I haven't said anything in English yet. Right had to go back oh he's a ritual circumciser and a ritual slaughterer and a ritual singer i guess but um, uh, the idea that... Yeah, even if you say, like, canter... Canter doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean anything, right? Oh, canter, yeah, sure. Uh, that that I, helps, uh, right. The best one is um, when people are like like, what's to fill tefillin? It's like, oh, no, it's phylacteries. Yeah, yeah, that helps. That okay, helps. okay, sure. Right. I got some <laughs> now I know what it is, right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but, like, this is something... That, the impression I get from the Reb is, like, whatever you were doing, he was always like, you know, there's, there's a bit more you can do. Like, within the realm of, of the holy, you know, you can find something else... I think was it was, I think my father told me that Rob Steinsatz went there and he, um, and he said, Rebba, you know, I've got a problem. I've got like, I'm doing these three projects and these massive projects and I just can't do it anymore. I like, so which one do I drop? And Rebbe like thought about it. He says,
1: yeah. Add another one.
0: Add another one. <laughs> Take one, one more project. And some, somehow that works. Um, and so like just going through the list of things you do, so many of them are like specific community oriented. Um, you know, working with the faith, and in a place like Sydney where we don't have a lot of people doing a lot of these things, you know, it's like you said, you can go to Israel and do it in a week because you know, there's everything's on mass production there. Here, it's not, it's not like that at all. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like the Rebbe picks his guys well, I guess. I'm um,
1: or you have you know the Rebbe's blessings. So. That's it. Tom, so it's not you're not working on your own power anymore. You're working on a yeah, a power that's much greater than you, and um, I you're I, just a conduit. Yeah, and I certainly feel it. I don't. It's not you know. If it was up to me, as I said. I'm just a shy boy from Brooklyn. Yeah. Um. So to have you know to have that uh, sort of success is really, really very special, and I and I cherish it, and I don't take it for granted.
0: Yeah, you you really that really comes across the yeah. fact that you don't take it for granted. Is it, because um, I, I see there's a, there's a photo hanging here of your, your grandfather, you told me, um, getting the chaim from the Rebbe, was it, your, your family, going back a few generations, isn't really
1: Chabad? No, they no. um, I, where am I, I think I am fourth or fifth generation Chabad. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, my grandfather already learned in Chabad in, in Russia, mm-hmm. um, and I, and my, his wife, his wife's father. Was already a Chabad Hasid as well, so that's my great grandfather.
0: So that would have been back in like so, the Rebbe Rashab's days already. Correct. Wow. I mean,
1: there there are letters from the Rebbe Rashab to my grandfather, I believe. Um, and this um, is your father's, father's my father. My father. This is my father's father. Mm-hmm. And then my father's mother's father. Apparently, all the ringings used mm-hmm. to happen in their house. The gatherings oh. would happen in their house, that's what we've been told, so... Well, quite something. So it goes back. Yeah. yeah. So, so, it, so um, he actually had... My grandfather had to uh, escape from Russia in the 1920s. They were after him. So another another story for another day, perhaps. But, um, yeah. but uh, he was very involved with uh, the underground uh, movement, keeping Judaism alive um, during the early communist years. Yeah. Very intense, like, life or death situations all the time. Yeah, there. so they were, they were, um, they would take every year of students, every two years, and they would, and they would teach them one year to be Sheikhtim, Kosher Slotermen, and the next year, I think it was from Scribes, mm-hmm. and that, that's the way they sort of, they wanted to keep the skills going for, to keep the community, you know, alive. So he ended up learning to be a shachet. Mm-hmm. And he worked um, together with Reb Shlomo um, who, in I believe, in 1927, had to escape to Israel. Mm-hmm. They were after him. Or maybe even not. That was earlier. My grandfather left in 27. So he would have left earlier than that. Way earlier than that. Um, so he escaped. Shlomo Azarov left, and then my grandfather was part of a a group of uh, some of his cousins and some other people of the uh, community in Samarkand. When they went to the previous rabbi in, in Leningrad, I believe it was, and um, they, they uh, asked him they they needed a replacement rabbi because their, their, their rabbi left, had to, had to leave. And while my grandfather was there, he had an opportunity to study with a young... Um, gentleman, if I can put a lack of better words, who was there, who was a, a bacher at the time, wasn't married, and uh, but he was a relative of the Rebbe's, and he was there studying. So my grandfather had a chance to learn with this young man, and he was very impressed by him. So he went in to the, to the previous Rebbe, he said, you know, this young man, um, who ended up becoming the Lubavitcher Rebbe, yeah, man. giving it away. Yeah. So he says, this, "You know, he's he's quite an impressive young man. Can I take him back with me as <laughs> the Rub in Samarkand <laughs> So we're <laughs> talking about somebody who was talked about to become the future the Rebbe's son-in-law, right? The previous rabbi's son-in-law, and he was gonna, you know, the, the previous rabbi had a had a plan for him yeah, already. I'm sure he already has something in mind. <laughs> so um, and my grandfather was so taken by him that said he wanted to take him as a rabbi um so the rabbit told him like i have other plans for him wow. um, but i'll send you somebody else um and he sent fruit simply um anyway so the story goes that my my grandparents had to escape they already had uh they had a daughter at that stage that my grandmother was pregnant um and um, they had to it was a long story, which is printed in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, they escaped to Israel, which took them five years to get there. My father was already born in Jerusalem. Hmm.
0: It's it's interesting because, like, uh, you know, I grew up with stories about the, the Russian government's persecutions of Chabad figures, and um, you know, obviously, like the like you can read about a lot of them. And it's always it was always interesting to me because um, that there's, there's a sort of I guess. A, a tendency to think like, oh, it's always happening to me. Like to make to make your conf- to make your, your drama, whatever is going on, as like as like, oh, this is the central drama. Um, and so uh, it was. It really um, it really blew my mind a bit recently. Um, I have a friend of mine who's very into um, like he, re- he like reads like long long books on Soviet intelligence, and he showed me this quote from the previous director of the KGB that said, um, the biggest threat to the Soviet Union today is um, Jews smuggling in matzahs and uh, and religious artifacts.
1: That was back then. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it was post-war, but it was like the idea that the government, like we, you know, we think, oh, well, you know, they're persecuting us. How many other people that have their boots on the neck of the same way? Apparently, like this, we were the big one. We were, we were the big, big one on side. Yeah. 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 So Amazing. That was the big, the big threat. Yeah. Yeah. This is this this comes to no surprise yeah.
1: to you. No, that's what it was. They were after this, you know, and they say did manage to execute quite a few So and you were exiled to Siberia for many years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rough rough time and place. And then to be able to get out wasn't, just, wasn't easy. So no,
0: You said they went to Israel. That This was yeah. like a good 20 years before the founding of the modern state.
1: Yeah, so they escaped in 27. They arrived to Israel probably around 1932 or so. Okay. 32, 33. Fair. Oops. My father was born in 39.
0: And he was born in Israel, as so? In Jerusalem, yeah. And w- when did the family move to New York?
1: That's another story. <laughs> um, so uh, when my parents got engaged, the, they rode into the rabbi for a bracha for yep. their engagement. And the rabbi, along with the blessing, said that when they get married, they should come to New York for two years.
0: Wow. Slip that in there, huh?
1: Yeah. And um, I'm seeing
0: a bit of a family, uh, a bit of a family trend here. Like so, you go
1: somewhere temporarily. So, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, Tell me when so, you say left Russia, he was visiting Israel for so, a year or something. <laughs> so uh, what ended up happening was uh, my, my father again, coming from a Chabad family, ever says something you do it, no questions. My mother yeah. comes from a very close-knit family until today. Uh, most of my mother's family lives within a couple of blocks of each other in Bnei Brak. Mm-hmm. Um, what what sort of background are they? Uh, they're mm-hmm. Um They're they're they were originally from Israel for many generations. God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Um, my great grandfather was sent from Israel to Turkey to as a shliach of some sort for you know to to assist the Jewish community there. My grandfather grew up there. My mother was born in Turkey mm-hmm. in a city called Marash. Um and um, in nineteen forty eight, the family uh, left Turkey and right. and went to Israel. But my grandfather was was some sort of government minister in in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a beautiful voice as well, and he would be invited to sing for the Sultan wow. of Turkey on occasion.
0: That must have been the last, so, so the second
1: last sultan. Yeah, that's the story that I'm okay. just telling you, family for, yeah. family stories, so wow. yeah. So it's your mom's side, you the voice from so, right? No, both sides, both sides. Both sides are beautiful voices, of Hashem. Hashem. Until today, it is, you know, I mean, my mother's side, I'll be embarrassed to sing in, some of my, in, some, in front of some of my cousins. Really? My mother's family, <laughs> really? incredible voices, incredible voices. Oh, man.
0: We might have to, we might have to know, cut that sing, off the podcast they in case they're hearing, <laughs> <laughs> central board hears so it. It's gonna be a problem. They sing,
1: but they sing no, but they sing Sufari style. Ah, oh, wonderful! And I just, yeah, I can't even go there. The, nah. the scales, the makamim, the I don't know if you understand the, how that's you know the Arabic sort of music. The little works. thing of it. It's it's very very complicated music. Yeah. Um, I have an uncle that's that's a you know a cantor in one of the biggest synagogues in New York for the Syrian community, mm-hmm. and I asked him if he would teach me a bit of how the scales work because you know like we have a piano we have the white keys and the black yeah. keys and we work up in half steps right yeah so in their music they have in between the white and the black steps they have more steps oh really yeah so they have not only half steps, they have quarters and eights, and they oh, have little, little frequency changes which don't even fit. I mean, we listen to Arabic music, right? And it sort of moves along in little things, Tiny and it and sounds down. like it's flat to us, right? A, right. Anyway, but, we, you need to develop the ear to even but hear that's, it. But that's real notes, where they're sort of pitching in between the notes. Um, and... You know, whereas we go to Shul every Shabbos and go, Sheychen the any version of that, right? whatever it is. Yeah? But you're going to have the same nusach with singing the same thing every Shabbos in, in Shul, right? Right. It's pretty standard. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that by then. So um, if you would go into a Syrian synagogue, every Shabbos has a different mode of music. What do you and mean? it works on a cycle. Oh, Don't oh. ask me. I can't tell you too much about it. <laughs> but let's say, so on your weekly, on your weekly, let's say, rabbi's newsletter, it's going to say, Shabbos B'shalach, Makam Sijam, yeah, this is the, this is the Makam of the week. Um, and, you know, whatever, you can, you can look this up afterwards, right? But, uh, um, and, and you know, the Shabbos Parshish, Shabbos Parshish Israel, Makam, bloop, whatever it is. Yeah, Yeah. And it works, so you're going to have a normal, like, sort of a cycle. And then because it's Shabashira, it's going to be An extra a, special, a special, yeah. We're right. going to go to that mode. We're going to go to a different mode. So the, so the um, uh, service is going to sound totally different. Every one of their Zmirats, yeah, work on a different scale for a specific reason. Okay? So cool. And they have names for each one of these modes that they sing in. Um, so, I asked my uncle, I said, can you teach me a little bit about this? And he goes, <laughs> you're done, <dad>, leave it. <laughs> he goes, it's not for you. <laughs> you go back to sing Shrechen <laughs> right?" He made me feel like I was, a, you know, an ant. Oh, wow. You know, it wasn't even worth the dirt on the floor, you know. It was oh, like, wow. yeah, what, do you, what do you go, go sing Ashkenazi stuff, Yeah. You know? It was, so it's extremely complicated and, and I, I, you know, I have some cousins who were in Israel a few years ago with my grandfather's Zierzeit and there was a, a cousin of mine, a 15 year old kid and just started singing, control can show you a video, um, just blew my mind, the, the breath control and the note control and, and, and the, a lot of it's improvisation, Instead, it works on modes, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of improvisation along that. Oh wow. So, and, and how they work that, through that and how they, it's just amazing. That's incredible. You know, that's that's really incredible because it's you yeah, know, so I don't know how we got onto that my grandfather's what were we talking about we, Yeah, your family so, backgrounds.
0: Yeah. They moved to New York and I was, I was like because you're saying your your father's your father's side They're ever says something you go. Okay, you go. so so my, so so I was mother There so you go. So
1: back to another story I don't know this, this this whole interview is going in a wacky it's sort of way. It's going fantastically. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Back to the story of my father. You always want too many stories <laughs>
0: You don't want to be sitting there drawing. I'd like to see thing. the editing of this. It's um, <laughs> so anyway. not gonna make any sense.
1: <laughs> so back to my parents when we were if that's what we we're up to, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, your um, parents just got blessed so, on the rabbit muzzle top meal. Why do you and think and about come, coming come to New come York to for a couple, couple years? So my so my grandmother was a little bit hesitant about this, my on my mother's side. Like, what do you mean you can't you know family, you gotta be close to family. So my mother says, Oh don't worry, it's two years and we'll be back, right? So they went to New York for two years. After two years, my mother writes into the rabbi that, you know, the rabbi requested us to come for two years. We're asking a blessing to go back to Israel. The Rebbe replies, stay another two years. So they stay another two years. And again, after two years, my mother writes again to the rabbi and says, you know, Rebbe said two years, and now it's been four years. We would like to, a blessing to move back to Israel. The Rebbe replies, stay again two years. And after those two years were up, again okay, my mother writes in. It was it happened four it happened four times, or, or after eight years, I don't know, was it three times or after after eight years? I think it was. Uh, no, so it happened three times. Yeah. Um, after eight years, two, four, no, four times it happened. Right, it happens four uh, times. I assume you count four the original times, right the original well. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So after eight years of being in New York. Um, My father's parents, who were in New York at the time, and the Rebbe brought them, told them to come to New York for some significant amount of time, they were moving back to Israel. That was around the time that I was born. Um, And my grandmother, my father's mother, tells my mother, why don't you come with me? I'm going to go ask the Rebbe for blessing to move back to Israel. Why don't you come with me? And ask for, you know, while I'm getting my blessing, maybe you can sort of piggyback off my blessing and get your blessing too to come back to Israel. So my mother says, look, you know, the Rebbe said we should stay another two years and those two years aren't up. I can't ask now while I'm still in those two years. So she says, okay, so, you know, so don't come. Just, you know, don't ask the Rebbe for a blessing, but just come with me as I pass by the Rebbe. I'm going to ask him for a blessing. Um, Come and listen like this. you'll, You'll remember what he's telling me. At least we have, you know, one set of ears. yeah. Two sets of ears so we can, you can memorize what the Rebbe is telling me. So my grandmother goes up to the Rebbe, hands the Rebbe a note, and asks for a blessing to go to Israel. So the Rebbe turns to her and he says, you and your husband, you go, go in peace. But with, And then without my mother saying a word, he turned to my mother, who was the next person online, right? Turns to my mother without her saying a word and he says, but you, he said all this in Hebrew. But you and your husband and your children should stay here in America, in New York, in Brooklyn, and we will all go together with Mashiach to Israel. That was it. So my mother says, always used to say, when I came down from there, I didn't know if I should laugh or I should cry. Um, but that was uh, her life sentence. Um, life sentence. Uh, you know, and now it's been well over 50 years that she's been in New York 55 years or something along those lines. Um, in a heartbeat, if, if you told her, you know, if the Rebbe would tell her to go to Israel, she would be on the, on the next flight out. Yeah. Um, and but she misses it every day. Literally misses it every day. Wow. She still talks about it every day. The Rebbe promised her that she was going to go to Mashiach, to Israel, and she's, she's waiting she's waiting for that moment. So talking about giving your life, you know, and for, the Rebbe's, for the Rebbe's directives. Yeah. Um, so that's the story. So like, we ended up growing up in New York. Fair enough. And then me in Sydney. Well, it's, it's interesting
0: to me. I'm paying attention to like what exactly the ever said there. You, you really did need him in '93 to actually say, "Your boy, though he could, he could leave. He's he's mm-hmm. he's uh, he's doing something special for me in Sydney. He doesn't have to be in Brooklyn right now." But everyone else sort of. Um, you know, not so much. Um, we haven't we haven't touched on it uh, uh, and everything by, by a long shot, but I, I want to hear a bit about the flying.
1: What do you want to hear about? I mean, tell, tell me. How did uh, that was happen?
0: This, was this another hand up thing? Someone um, it so, came okay. to you and he said I had fly planes on the weekend. How about it?
1: How that happen? Okay, so what happened was like this. It was fairly simple it happened. Um, I always had a bug that I wanted to learn how to fly. Okay, you so, mentioned as a kid even. Even as a kid. I, look, my, my father used to talk about science with us and stars and things and whatever and planets. You always had this sort of fascination with different different sort of things at the to mm-hmm. State when we discussed things. Um, when I got married, I wanted to learn how to fly. I had a friend over here, a young, young, another young uh, guy here that was learning to fly at the time. Um, I thought it would be pretty cool. I even had my first lesson booked in. Um, and whatever it didn't work out, there was uh, something happened um, here, and I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm a young guy starting with a young family. It's not it's not the time. Mm-hmm. So I left it at that. But I the 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 itch never left me. Um, I ended up buying a flight simulator with the yoke know, and pedals and a full setup. Which oh I wow! Had. And I and I started you know understanding the idea of flights and how it works just but but i went through it methodically i didn't just you know play with the flight simulator i actually went through the program and learned how to do things and how things work and understanding navigation and understanding you know what i'm saying so actually get into the system and understand how it works rather than just okay i'm playing around with this thing right so
0: this is like a proper like teach you how to
1: fly Proper. proper, I i went through it like yeah, and I would document and I would set up flights from point A to point B and, and which navigation points and whatever and different wow. ways to do it or VORs or through GPS or through that or different ways to do things. And, um, so I, I, spent a, and I spent a lot of time, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time doing that over, over the years until I, I haven't touched it in years now. But I did spend a lot of time initially um, doing things, even went to a point where I was in the process of doing a round-the-world trip. On different oh. sorts of planes, so it was a, it was a thing, it was a shtick, you know. Different, you know. How far you get around happy. the world? I got halfway around the world. It <laughs> time, but it was a long, it was a long slog, and but it was it was a challenge to do, which was a setup, a preset sort of challenge. And some of the planes I wasn't um, the Learjets I found tricky to to fly and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh hate flying Learjets. So I found that it was easier to fly a seven thirty seven than a Learjet. Oh, much. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're aware of that? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> So I, I I just didn't understand I didn't I didn't get into that so um, but um anyway so I I sort of dropped it when it became some of the more complicated aer- aircrafts to right. do and that was like Oh, so almost, it almost like scales, scales you up and yeah. Look, if it's island hopping, you're doing a little airplane. If like it's a bigger, or it can be Cessnas. It can be uh, I don't remember a Cub or, or whatever or a extra three hundred or whatever different sorts of things. that you can you know old fashioned kind of biplanes or whatever. Have have a whole a whole series of planes and they all handle know. differently. They on all handle the yes, more or less. Yeah. Okay. okay. Do you
0: remember what like the longest flight was that you did mm. on the simulator? I don't know.
1: It was this was you are talking about 20 years but ago, Was it so. was
0: it okay fine, but is it like um was it like realistic lens? It's like it's Yeah, the yeah, it's already right. yeah, yeah. sure light. 100% for and sure and then and so like you for just sure. go there sometimes you'd be like goodbye I'm gonna go pretend uh, to yeah, fly you to you Miami then you even... Well,
1: you could do that. Yeah, sure. If you're, if you're on autopilot, you can let's let the plane go I did some flights where I went like Sydney, Los Angeles overnight to let the plane, you know, do its thing <laughs> Um, <laughs> but you come back, and then crash, come back. It's gonna be whole investigation, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> but no, But the truth is that you, with these things, some, you have to like you have to keep the f- flight following going. So you have to talk to air traffic control every so often. Um, and if you don't respond to air traffic control when they talk to you, then they just cut out the flight following, and they go, okay, you're on your own, and the plane just keeps flying. So. It's part of the program of did flight you, simulators. Did, when you were flying from Sydney to Los Angeles, so, did, you lose, did, did you lose traffic I control? We did, yeah. You are like, you're like fine, know, I'll, I'll beat no, it down I myself. I was for 14, 15 hours straight. It's ridiculous. So, oh anyway, but I did it for fun. Yeah. Anyway, Maybe I know people have to actually take it seriously. But anyway. Um, yeah, so that no, was, you, you clearly don't take it too so seriously. Not that seriously. So that was that. So I played around with flight simulators yeah. for quite a few years. Um, I did have one flying lesson eventually... Um, I had then one year when my wife bought me for a birthday present, she bought me an hour in the 737 simulator in Darling Harbour. And that was a, a step up from what you had over here? That's pretty much, well, yeah, because it's like you're sitting in a cockpit and I don't you know how to think. So okay. at that stage I wanted to understand how, um, how ILS landings work. What's so ILS? So- ILS is where you set up an airplane to land on its own to follow it. You wow. have to tune into to a certain frequency which the plane is able to capture and it's an instrument landing and it, and it f- comes in and it can capture this glide slope and, and comes down almost usually to a couple hundred feet above ground level and then you got to finish off the You got to manual it. But, it. but it handles the glides. Most of theme. the descent it does yeah. by itself. Okay. And that's how commercial flights usually work. They work on ILS landings. Um, so I wanted to be able to capture that and that was my main thing that I spent that hour in the flight simulator so we did a Canberra-Sydney trip and then I did a a couple of uh, patterns around Sydney just um, practicing ILSs Um, but anyway, but it costed an absolute fortune to really? do that. So when I came out of this, they said, "Oh, well, that was a lot of fun, but I could have had a real flying lesson for the price of that simulator, which is right. the toy that I have at home. Which, is but, but you're sitting in a simulator with a real pilot, so you get to talk to somebody. That's cool. And so it's still fun. Yeah. How, how long ago so, was that? Was the simulator uh, lesson? Years ago. Years okay. ago. Um, anyway, and that was that, and I put it out of my mind, and that was the end of it. Um, what ended up happening was that I started giving a Tanya shear. To um, some friends from Shul, Okay, which is the next story. <laughs> hey, well I'll go to the next thing. Um, so how did the Tanishir did one of the started like this? I had a, a boy uh, in my shul that they asked, you know, the family asked me to teach the kids the bar mitzvah, and the mother came for every bar mitzvah lesson. When the when the bar mitzvah week came, she started crying literally in the last lesson. Oh that she enjoyed learning every week so much for that year and now she's not going to learn anything anymore and she just felt like, you know, she wanted to keep studying with us, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even after the boys' Mitzvah. So I ended up studying with her and her husband. Um, She wanted to study Tanya. Why why Tanya? I was studying with my kids Tanya um, every Shabbos after the meal. We would sit together for half an hour and we would study Tanya with the kids. Mm So she says, I heard you're learning Tanya with your children. I want to learn Tanya with you. I want to know what that's all about. So I started studying with her and her husband. And then, and it was a lot of work for me to me to prepare a shear like that. It was it was a lot of work. So we decided rather than just, you know, being selfish and just keeping it between her and her husband, we should invite other people to this group as well and make something of it if I'm already doing the work mm-hmm. to prepare for it. We now have, I don't know, what's something around 15 people that come to this Tanya shear which we do every second week.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Amazing. Um, and that's how it started. So what does that have to do with flying? At the end of the year, a couple of years ago, they wanted to buy me a present. They said, I don't charge for doing this. I'm just teaching them because that's what we do. But they felt that they wanted to show me appreciation. So they called up my wife and they said, what would you want for a gift? <laughs> Um, And she said, you know what he always wanted to do? He always wanted to learn how to fly. Um, So that was that. So they handed me a certificate and they they bought me a few flying lessons. And that's how it started. So I said, "Ah, Zai, if if that's the case, that I have my wife's blessing to learn how to fly, then Ah, I'm taking it. That was clever. So once, yeah. So that was how it all started. And so then and from there it carried on, and, and um, um, it's progressed through there. Was it? So was, so.
0: was it something that like if this? So this whole thing that went actual flying, like these lessons that you got. That was quite recent.
1: It's been in the last couple of years.
0: Okay. Well, um, I, uh, I I mean I'm I'm sure I'm not the first person to mention this, but I, I saw you in the Jewish News the other day. You did your first, was this your first flight where you were actually on
1: the controls from over to Queensland? Uh, No, so that wasn't, that wasn't the first flight on the controls. So what happened was, so here you go, when you study in Tanya, you'll learn that there's nothing neutral. There's no such thing as a neutral activity yet. You have godly activities and then you have your mundane life, which you go out with your friends for coffee, for pizza, you go skiing, you go, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? But nothing, nothing in life. Just is. Everything has to have a godly purpose. Even your social outings Mm -hmm. can have a godly purpose. In other words, you're going out with a friend for a coffee. You find out how your friend is doing. You find out what's happening in their life, right? Maybe they need support in a certain area. Maybe they need help in a certain area. Maybe, right, there's something going on. So, by the fact that you're going out, you're finding out what your friend needs or you're there, right? And then you're able to provide or be there as a support for something that's going on, you're going on a vacation with your family, create a beautiful family time where they're learning and you're growing together as a family, as, or in Judaism or things like that, or you're rejuvenating yourself so that you have the strength to continue throughout the year, refreshed, invigorated with everything else that you're doing. So anything that you do can be godly if you think about God during those times. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't just be, I'm doing things because I enjoy it, because that's... We don't do things that way. Right. Right. Although we tend not to say, we don't, we don't put God enough in our, in our daily life as much as we should. We are right. be putting on in every day and doubting three times a day, yet we don't think about God. Right. And we have to, Tanya teaches you to be more mindful yeah, in what you're doing, that everything is a, a way to connect to God. It teaches you to be mindful. 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 Okay, so so that everything that we do, even our mundane things, should be something that we're doing in order to connect to God, to be a better Jew, to be a better person, mm-hmm. Yeah, to do what God wants from you. And during my Tanya sessions, I would always sort of, you know, as examples, you know, skiing and jet skiing or whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that the hobbies that we sort of tend to like to do in life, you know, and I was sort of giving... And, you know, the, the sheer that I give, the classes that I give, uh, they're all very successful a uh, very intelligent businessmen or surgeons and a judge and this they're all very, very clever people. So mm-hmm. I, I really have to prepare these lessons really well, but they tend to go on these sort of nice vacations, right? So I right. always like, especially at the end of the year, you know, the ski trip or that one and how does the heart want things and how you desire things or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I always gave that as example. So here I am, they all of a sudden bought me these flying lessons, right? And the, I I couldn't tease him anymore about the ski trip because hey Yoheud, you're going flying, so yeah. that's you know. Uh, <laughs> um, so what ended up happening was I got a call just before Yom Tiv to, to do a bris in not in Queensland but just bordering Queensland in right. Um I got the call because of Corona, and the the guy that the rabbi it was actually the rabbi in Mullenbimbi a new rabbi up there. I was only there for a couple of months at the time. Um, used to live in Melbourne, just moved up to Mullumbimby full-time. He had other kids, and he called actually a mile in Melbourne to do the bris for his son, but the mail couldn't come from Victoria into New South Wales because ah, the borders were closed. Right. So the mayel called me up and said, Yehuda, there's a bris up in nearby Bay in Mullumbimby. Can you do the bris? Um, he's willing to fly him up there. And I said, look, it's a week and a half before Rosh Hashanah. There's no way I'm getting onto a commercial flight before a week and a half before Rosh Hashanah. Why is that? Because if, God forbid, there's a corona case on the flight, I'm going to be put into a two-week quarantine. And right. that knocks me out. on Being a cantor in a synagogue, yeah. that knocks me out of my shul. I can't go to shul on Rosh Hashanah. Right. So I said, there's no way I'll take a commercial flight. To take three days off of work for me to go to the there, I said, I, I said, but I have a solution. I said, I'm a student pilot. I'll fly up there with my instructor. I can't do solo. I have done my solo since, but I said, I can't do. I can't go there. But I said, I'll take my, my, my uh, instructor with me. And we'll fly up there. We'll do the bris and we'll fly back. And that way I can do it in a one day's journey. I can do that plus, you know. Really? benefit. Anyway, so that worked out. So I spoke to the, ended up speaking to the rabbi up there. We went through it. We had many conversations. We had video calls of how to do things because, again, it's a long distance bris. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm free, sort of hands-on, as I explained earlier when I do a bris. I'm very careful about it, the whole aftercare and everything to make sure that I can mm-hmm. look after the the healing process as well. Um, so I had to make sure that he was okay with me doing things, you know, if, he, if something had to be done, that he was okay with me directing him over a video call, how to deal with the baby and stuff like that, you know. So um, we had those discussions and then he said, okay, so that'll let me, now you know what to do and you're going to be comfortable take the bandage off. Or, and in case of emergency, this is how you can do this or that or whatever. Um, and then they ended up flying updated to the bris. Mm-hmm. Right, so that that sort of made a, a bit of a um, went went viral a little bit that story in, yeah. in international news and the local news media has picked it up and whatever. So that was the story of the Bristol So going back to my Tanya group, I said there you go. So flying wasn't just something which I did for fun, but I was able to use it in my rabbinical duties. Right, I, a, I'm sure you so had that, that was in mind. absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so uh, and that's continuing, and you know what? since then there have been several other um, brises, which flying which brises. There have been. Uh, I didn't. They had opportunities, so the weather has to cooperate as well. So, right. Um, mm-hmm. But but when things like that. But I had. I did have several calls from that bris there, um, via Chabad of Rara and things like that, where people realize they you know if there's something up in country New South Wales or whatever. So I've been contacted to do that so, so far. I had to drive. I had one person just this past week I was supposed to do. And sad story. The baby doesn't have the circumcision yet, but hasn't had his bris yet. Um, and they may not have a bris. I've don't know they've, I've been talking to this lady for three or four months, and then her partner decided that they don't want to circumcise the kid. Oof. So that's a bit of a sad one. Um, still one in progress. We'll see if I can uh, do something about that.
0: But God willing, it'll all work out. But that's but one that may happen, but there fair. may be another flight for. But now, but but now I, you're... I don't, I
1: don't, I'm not holding my breath in that fair. way. Fair.
0: But, but now, because of the Malambimbi thing, because we've got a bit of news traction now, you're known as the Flying Whale The Flying as well. whale
1: became the Flying Whale.
0: Amazing. I'm happy. To, I'll carry that title with pride. <laughs> 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 I mean, Rubihuda, I really feel like I could spend hours more talking to you, but I'm mindful that that's, that's just about all we have. Oh, wow. Thank you very okay. much. I really I appreciate it. it. Thanks. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure everyone everyone's had a great time. <laughs> right. um, and you should continue to be successful
1: on I'm YouTube. Good luck, kind of. you.
0: With thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny.